Hello everyone, and welcome to the Church of Pantan. May the cores be our saviors. I'm Aspir, your head of ceremony, and as usual, I'm joined by my apostles, Cosmic and John. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Can't complain. Good weekend. Now we're here. Yeah, your weekend, uh, a little bit better than mine, but yeah, good weekend <laughs> all around. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, no surprise here. Uh, we did just have Grand Open Monroeville, and I think both of you guys did incredibly well. Uh, you know, cause you're usually the one to kind of be down on yourself, but look, you didn't play Axe, and you actually did better than ever. And I mean, John, our hero, breaking into the top eight and fighting it through till top four. Absolutely amazing performance, guys. Yeah, thanks. You know, even Pikachu is right here holding his uh, trusty sign. Uh, with Rex in a t-shirt that is now saying we are no longer topless. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to jump into uh, that uh, as well as kind of opens up the conversation of who is the current uh, best player in the game, best players. I know that's been a conversation now, especially now that, uh, uh, spoiler alert, Caleb actually ended up taking down this event, which gives him his third finals appearance in three back-to-back -back tournaments. Uh, as well as winning two of them. So that's definitely going to be a topic. Then we're going to talk about Bandai Fest, Worlds. All those have been officially announced. Uh, the LA Convention Center did have a little bit of a posting a couple of weeks ago, which kind of gives a hint of where everything was going to happen. Uh, but we do have some more surrounding information about that. Then we've got Guess Our Flavor Text, uh, supposedly everyone's favorite <laughs> segment of the show. Uh, and then we'll wrap up by upcoming. We didn't get any reveals, but we do have some hopes and dreams about what set three will be going. Uh, we're fairly certain by the next time that the show comes around, we will have reveals to talk about. So we'll go from there. But to kick us off, uh, Cosmic, top 10, top 16 finish uh, with your green swift list. Um, I guess first off, why that list? Why jump into that with this tournament? Yeah, so for those that have been following the channel for a while or just why I've been posting out on Twitter and whatnot, like I just absolutely love the armor tree list. I was playing for like the longest time. And other than making lists for content reasons or just like testing and helping out the locals, like it was the only deck that I really enjoyed playing. So I was just like, screw it. I'm going to go in this event. I'm going to play a thing that one, I have probably the most reps with at this point, And two, that is the most fun in my opinion. And it really has been kind of more of a group thing project going back to Tulsa, a very similar list made top 32. Um, John actually had some feedback on it. He didn't update a list. And then I expanded on that further. So it's one of those things that just has been an evolution of ideas kind of going throughout the entire community. And then, you know, by the end of it, came to the sad realization that, well, Armor Tree is probably just not good enough until we get a few more, you know, Carapites or Insectoids that really bring it together, where Scoops often enough is going to be all you need from a good swift value and then strike being absolutely insane as it turns out with worker ant-man when you have those big tempo plays you can pull off with like thorn prison and dream bombs just to set back your opponent so um it was just a lot of fun i would play it again i maybe don't want to see four axe spiders in, in seven rounds again but i went three and one so it did okay i guess i'm not going to call it like an axe spider counter by any means but um it did perform better than i expected so i'll take it yeah top 16 at the end of it yeah, um, actually, John, you were on the deck for a while and had considered playing it before you and the rest of your team kind of pivoted to Terry's. Why'd you get off the list? Uh, there was no real reason. Um, you know, we felt like it was pretty good into pretty much everything. Uh, the Axe Spider matchup was pretty okay, but still not, you know, like, hey, I'm going to beat Axe Spider every time. Of course, there's nothing that really does that. Uh, but you know, I think at the end of the day, it was just something, uh, you know, Ryan Valentino, um, 
you know, he's just like a pterosaur lifer. And time and time again, he'd just pound his head into all these decks. And, you know, seeing his results against everything kind of was, was like, okay, well, maybe we should, you know, should just be playing pterosaur since it's just more uh, consistent than, you know, any green deck at the moment. So that's probably why we really came off of it at the end. Uh, but, you know, it's a very good deck, obviously, you know, caused it really well with it. Um, so, you know, kind of have to watch it moving forward. You, you know, I think it gains actually quite a bit from the lore set with the new Tokiwa. I think it's really good in that, you know, uh, version that he played. So we'll see uh, where it goes from here. Yeah, um, I think it's one thing that like people are still adjusting to the notion that you can play a body on their turn. Um, I think that's like it's one of the few like skill checks you can actually do in this game at the moment. And even, and like I think Shrike is like very much kind of surprising me in how much tempo it can actually gain you. Um, even the limited testing, I would have probably played this deck personally um, if I had jumped into it just because like I like playing decks that aren't like super known uh, numbers to people, and hopefully you know that notion can get, get me there. Even though like Lord knows X Spider carried me last tournament, so there's that. But then, um, I guess you're saying you had four X-Spider matchups and then, like, what, a Terry and something else cause? Yeah, so the round one feature match was against the Nemesis Nova style of deck, which was just, yeah, like, a really was cool, meant saucy. to be, like, <laughs> purple value deck, which was super cool, like, that you got the turn with, like, the Nemesis into the Star Altar to get the Soul Core to the Meteor. I'm like, yeah, dude, you get to do all this. Like, that's super sick. Oh, um, wait. He had Nemesis and Nova in his deck. Yeah. I didn't see so, that. Yeah, so, so, well, actually, his list didn't have Nova. It just had Meteor. Oh, it was so just Meteor. Okay. It, it oh, didn't okay. even have Nova. So it was just like you're you're playing Nemesis into Star Altar into so he's like doing Soul Core stuff with bro. Yellow. Yeah, he's got yeah, some okay, kind of okay. Soul Core pile thing going on. Yeah, it was yeah. saucy as heck. <laughs> yeah, sounds cool. I'll have yeah, to watch the super, feature. It's definitely super <laughs> sick to to see it like. One, he obviously we didn't get to see a lot of it because game one, I just was able to aggro them out, and then game two, they we played the resource game, and I hit depths, he didn't, sort of thing. So I just taxed out his hand because that's what green can do very, very fast between Thor and prison and th things of that nature. Um, he just didn't have a lot of room to, to really go anywhere in the second game, but we did get to see some of the again the star altar plays with Nemesis and things of that nature. But uh, the two losses ended up being to Axe Spider, being one of them again, went three and one, that's just how it is. Uh, the other loss was to green aggro because they double mush tarantula me game one, and I just didn't have enough information. Unfortunately, I discarded wrong and I lost because of it um, and then game two i just straight up bricked uh i didn't i had a questionable you know keep but i want to draw the extra card knowing that they're on much tarantula and i had a star blessed draw in hand and then i hit like double crag double elephant double derm dina against an aggro deck and i'm like all right those are just uh those are just the bricks sometimes uh, i guess is what it is so it was a lot of fun to play it out and then the other matchup was let me pull up my notes really quick Oh, a green rampless was the other that was in round five. Then we got to see a someone who was on the similar list. He was actually playing against who, one of my friends that I was at the when I was you know going around the table, seeing whatever I was playing. And it was just a very hey, I'm gonna play work ramp man. I'm gonna play all the butterflies. I think they were playing uh, Manticore as well. Like literally just twelve ramp bodies, and then they had Enterprise. They had full curse combo in there. Like just all of, like the greedy boss, like green ramp into boss monsters, which was really cool, but my style of deck preyed on that very, very well because I am going to be making these, you know, if I, as long as we're keeping even with the ramp, I'm just going to dream bomb you swift in some guys and then get in the extra damage. I'm going to punish you for trying to make these extra plays. Sure. You have the cores, but it's going to set you back much bigger in every single turn that you try to develop something. And then I just kept two cores and everything. So he could never curse dragon me either. And again, swift is just really good in that matchup because decks like that want to play in the main phase at the end of the day, or like a lot of red decks too, for the on play 
uh, or purple on play stuff, right? So when you have Swift and you're able to play during combat instead of during main phase, turns out you get to dodge a lot of removal or dodge a lot of effects that your opponent wants to be playing. So uh, yeah, Scoops was definitely sick all weekend long. Really, I knew how much I loved that card. It was kind of the other reason I really wanted to play the deck. And it just really overperformed basically all weekend long. It was uh, MVP all day. Yeah, something with your green deck too uh, is that I don't think people realize how hard it is to like remove worker Ant-Man once he's in play because, you know, between gaining the core, then using that core to Thorn Prison or using the core to play, you know, strike after they block, so on and so forth. It is like super hard to, to, you know, get that man off the field. Yeah, Yeah, the strike plays was insane all weekend long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's um, the more and more I play with worker Ant-Man and we kind of saw that with... um, know zach and matas's purple is that like if you leave it unchecked it's like absolutely insane because you can use the extra cores like you were saying um and the green deck just gets to do that the best because you get the reductions so um to that front it's like super super strong um and then i think um the biggest like technology that john introduced into the deck when he gave us the initial build was just throwing beldegore in there and like was beldegore as good as we assumed it would be or uh yes and no so no because they played against so many bloody axe spiders uh but yes because it did act as a good multi attack target so a lot of times right when you're playing all these swift bodies they're all four or five costs so there would be turns where it's like you swift in scoop owl you get a block it taps something down and you bring back a belagore which is either then going to kill something or just be another blocker so you shut down basically three things off one single card and that is a huge punish for opponents who are trying to get in like after you play thorn prison right they're already taxing their board so much so i think going forward and i think in the video i did just two bell or no i think i did three Beldegore, but i'm actually probably gonna cut it back to two i think when we try to fit in the new tokiwa because you still want some number um but depending on how the meta lines up you really only want one or two of them and you're probably going to discard it anyways to like a volcanic canyon or something and just have it as a threat more so than playing it in kind of the the main phase step yeah you know Beldegore was really kind of you know i can't I know this kind of sounds backwards, but Beldegore was actually kind of tech for the Axe Spider matchup because there's a lot of situations where you win the game by just making many multi-attackers. So, you know, you'd play like a Scoop Owl or your uh, four-drop Heaven Butterfly and just attack with it, right? So they either take a damage or they block it and you get back like three Beldegores. So, you know, that that was how we were beating Axe Spider and testing because they either have to take damage every turn and die obviously or uh you know they have to have a suppression every turn basically once you get two or three Beldegores in in the uh, discard pile so you know that's kind of why we were playing four but i do agree with cause that once axe spider if it leaves the meta then i think you're probably fine with uh like three you know maybe even two Beldegore. you know it just depends on how popular red is at that point but you know, that's that's really why it was in there as a four of. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the same logic of like Sword of Source, right? Where like you're just kind of forcing them to have to have the suppression every turn. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, very fair. Well, it's again, congratulations on your top 16 finish. So, you know, Tulsa was what taught like you finished 25th or whatever. Uh, yeah, top 32. <laughs> top 32. Uh, this tournament, you finished 10. So like top eight finished Netherlands, right? Like we're on our way up. Yeah. Hopefully we can <laughs> continue the streak of uh, doing better every tournament yeah and then uh, on the other token i've got john breaking into that top eight top four placement with pterosaur featuring joker yeah why (laughs) 
<laughs> that you know again that was a valentino edition uh you know we we tested terry's against axe spider over and over and over again you know we just grabbed caleb's list from tulsa and just jammed it against axe spider or you know against terry's over and over and over again and he just kept getting pounded and pounded and pounded so finally he's like let's just try these jokers and see what happens so we put Joker in, and then all of a sudden we were winning, you know, maybe five out of 10 or six out of 10. It's like, so we kind of saw that it was winnable. Um, so we figured that we could beat the less experienced Axe Spider players pretty much every time with Joker. And the more experienced ones, like Caleb, for example, we had a chance to win, but it would be more difficult, obviously, once they knew that we had Jokers. And that's really what happened to Alex. You know, he played against Caleb. Caleb knew he had Jokers, so it was harder to win. Whereas my other Axe Spider matchups, uh, I played it four times total. Um, you know, my other Axe Spider matchups were much easier because they had no idea what was coming. So I'd get them to, you know, two, and they'd be like, okay, they'd wall up and think they're safe. And then you're like, oh, well, here's all these Jokers. So, you know, it's it was really good tech for this event. Um, you know, I thought our deck was like four cards off from being probably the perfect deck. Um, Sordosaurus was terrible all day, all day. And, you know, I know I saw Twitch chat, like I rewatched my game and I saw Twitch chat. And someone was like, oh, Tad is playing Sordosaurus. He was like the, the number one hater. It's like, yeah, I'm back to number one hater because that card was <laughs> dog water all day. I would have rather been like dragon trooper or like the fourth eagle or just any other creature that didn't cost four mana so you know it's i had a pretty good run though i played against uh you know it's kind of funny i played against i i usually like to play decks where i won't play mirror matches because i hate mirror matches and round one i played a terry mirror so i lost game one round one and then from that point on i went i didn't lose another game till like round six so it was just, uh, you know, I think it was the right deck for the event. I played against two Terries, one yellow, two Axe Spider, and Swiss, and then one purple. And then in top eight, I played against uh, Ryan, uh, Mirror Match, and then, uh, of course, Frisco. So, you know, I went two and two overall against Axe Spider, lost to Ryan Miles, lost to Frisco, uh, beat two other players. So, you know, I thought the deck was great. You know, we have some changes. Uh, I think Alex is going to play it this weekend in uh, Glasgow. So we'll see how he does there with the changes. I also noticed that um, you guys actually, so in the changes to fit in Joker, you guys actually, I think, like cut an Eagle, you guys cut a Gagano. And those are surprising cuts to me, especially since for a lot of players, it's like, oh, it's Gagano the deck, you know. But I think the reality is just like you guys are a really good tempo deck. And that can take advantage of like early advantage turns. And then it just, yeah, hey. The, like the whole Rex thing is like, you know, someone else asked me about this too. It's like, why were you playing three Rexes? It's like, well, Rex isn't really that good in a Pterosaur meta or in a, a, a Axe Spider meta, right? Because he doesn't really do anything, you know, against Axe Spider. So when you're playing four Jokers, two Flamefish, four Richards, like, you know, that's already 10 spirits out of your 26 that aren't Pterosaurs or Emperor Beasts. So you, you kind of have to make sacrifices somewhere. And I thought that was kind of the obvious one. Uh, I even thought about going down to two, um, but I felt like it's so important in like the purple matchups that mm. you, know, you really can't go down to two. Um, but I was perfectly happy with three. I never really wanted the fourth one. Uh, you know, well, I played some mirror matches and I wanted it, but outside of that, I was, you know, I was never like, Oh, really, you know, I really need Rex here. Um, 
there was one time against Frisco in the top four. I think it was game that it was game three where he led the Elephant Nexus and then played an Aegis on turn two, sacrificed his zero drop to put four counters on Aegis. And if I would have drawn Rex right there, I would have won that game on the spot. Um, so that was the only time where I was like, man, I really want four Rex against Hexpider because the mm. game would have been over. Um, so, you know, outside of that, the, the fourth Eagle should be there. Flamefish was not it for the weekend. Um, you know, other than that, deck was perfect. Yeah. yeah. What? So, Dragon Arc. Yeah, what yeah, that, <laughs> that was kind of accidental. Um, it was, uh, so all the guys stayed at my house. I live like an hour south. So they all stayed here. And on Friday, uh, we were just trying to figure out the sideboard and we played some games, uh, you know, in, in the afternoon. And uh, Ryan and Alex wanted to test against White Aggro. And uh, after two or three games, like, man, what can we do to make this matchup better? And uh, I forget who said it. I don't think it was me. Maybe it was. I don't know. But we're like, well, let's try Halberd, right, and see how it, you know, it works out. So he was tremendous. He absolutely destroys white aggro. He's incredible against green aggro. Uh, and we didn't know at the time, but I found out like round four when I played Jesse Smith, he's actually quite good against purple too. So you know, sh shuts off. Uh, Camelot Knight, a lot of their curse stuff. So the, the uh, Maduke is a lot worse. Uh, I even boarded then in the mirror match, you know, against Ryan and, and my round one opponent because it's good in the mirror too. It was just a really good card. And I kind of wish I'd have played it, you know, in previous versions of Terry's, you know, last month or whatever. But, you know, the card overperformed all day. Yeah. What a world we're living in where we're coming back to that card after, you know, thinking back to early Novalis and just how much the meta has shifted, where it was like, oh my God, this is the worst card out of red. So now where we are in present day, it's like probably has a very reasonable spot in some red lists going forward, just with the, with the way the meta has shaped up. Yeah, so, the way the meta is, yeah, like all these white decks are like, okay, let's just play 21 drops that don't cost anything. So then you're just like, all right, well, here, I'll play this Halberd. And now it's like, okay, you literally have to dream bomb it or you know bounce it somehow or you cannot play the game yep always go back and look at those set one cards again you might find another uh good surprise along the way yeah 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 i think it's the fact i think that's also valuable in the fact that like it helps with the white aggro matchup a lot it essentially kind of shuts down the entire matchup and then it has usage elsewhere it helps quite a bit um and for what's worth i think there's still value in flamefish it's like it's one of those things where like sometimes flamefish super sucks but if you played against the white aggro matchup, you're probably happy that you saw him or like something like that, right? So I think it's just more so like to hedge your bets. Maybe there's a world in which you just start siding them instead, but the sideboard is like so tight right now because like there's so many matchups where you're just like, let's say you're playing Axe, it's like, okay, I want to bring in like these six cards or whatever. Yeah, so. you know, it's it's just because it's an Axe Spider meta, right? If it was any other meta where, you know, half the field wasn't one deck that Flamefish is terrible against, you know, it would have been a lot better. It's just, you know, the Axe Spider decks kind of warp the meta so much that your card choices and decks kind of get really wild and out of left field. Like, you find yourself playing these cards that make no sense and are not good at all, usually, then all of a sudden they're all-stars. So, it's <laughs> kind of yeah. how it works out. So, breaking into Top Cut, how's it feel? How's it feel yeah, to make yeah, it into I mean, Day 2 and have to play it out? It's, it's nice, you know, I've... I. You know, I've always 
been the type of player who makes top cut. So to finally break in for this game, it's pretty nice. You know, I've had a pretty good run since the Pro Tour. I got 12th in the Pro Tour. Tulsa, I mean, I didn't play poorly at Tulsa. It's just my deck choice probably wasn't the right one. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Pittsburgh did pretty well. So hopefully we can keep this going for the second Pro Tour here in October. Uh, that's the next event I'll be at. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's we'll see how it goes. You know, in previous games, every time I top, I kind of go on a streak. It's just, you know, this game, you know, I think Ryan and Alex are the same way. It's just really streaky. You know, Caleb's the same way right mm -hmm. now, too. You know, you kind of start running hot, and then everything just kind of falls into place. So we'll see how yeah. it goes. 100%. I think that's like a great transition into that topic of like, Caleb, third finals appearance, second win. And I agree. I think the games are super streaky. Um, I used to follow LSV for a long time when I played Magic. And there were seasons where like he was hot garbage, never placed mm -hmm. anything. And then next thing you know, he's top eighting like three GPs in a row, right? So I think right. it's one of those things when you're just hot. Also, the meta just like speaks to you and the deck speaks to you. And I think that's the most. I think for what's worth, I'll be interested to see how well Caleb does if slash when Axe Spider ever gets hit. But up until now, it's the best deck uh, on many numbers. And he's done incredibly well with it. So I guess the question kind of lands is, is Caleb the best player in the game at the moment? Yes. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I, I was saying in, in the car ride on the way home um, on Saturday night that there were four people playing in the top cut. Well, first of all, the top cut was stacked. I mean, that, that was a crazy top cut. But there were four people in the top cut that were playing for, like, the title of best player, right? I mean, Valentino, Alex, Caleb, and Matos. Like, if any four of those would have won, this would be, a, be an entirely different discussion. Um, so Caleb winning, he definitely earns that title. Um, you know, he is definitely the hottest slash best player right now. Uh, you know, he's kind of on fire. And then, you know, I, I think that Alex, Valentino, Matos, I mean, I think those are probably the four best players right now. I mean, Matosh is missing a win, right? Like that's aside yeah, from that, I, that's literally I think, it. Yeah, I, I think he's, I think he's still by far the most consistent player in the game. Yes. Mm. Yeah, he's finished ninth or better in every event that he's played in since Palm Springs, and that's all of them. So yeah. <laughs> he's had just a tremendous uh, run with it, right? As you mentioned, like ninth being the worst that he's done in these events, and been able to do it across multiple formats. Yes, you know, being a king of purple, all things considered, but just running it back time and time again. And I, I bug him every time, and I don't know how he does it. It's like, hey, how much did you sleep? Ah, oh, you know, I got about an hour and a half of sleep, and mm -hmm. I had my cup of coffee in the morning. I'm good to go. I'm happy to be here. I'm like, <laughs> dude, take care of yourself. Like, how are you holding it together? <laughs> Damn. So that's that's its own feat, uh, how he's able to pull it off time and time again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and imagine if we had, like, if it was set up like the other games where deck submissions were, like, round one. So everyone's on no sleep, but he's, like, a pro at it, whereas everyone's, like, and basically being on that, like, Alex $800 nap time. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which is something to note, by the way, if you guys are playing in Grand Opens or Premier Events moving forward, at least in North America, um, submission times are now 8 um, p.m. the day before as opposed to midnight. Um, something, But apparently if you're in the EU, you can resubmit up until round one. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's by TO, like mm -hmm. I think. So play TCG... I think what it looks like, they don't have any other, you know, events listed at all for Battle Spirits for them because, I mean, I'm sure they will do one in the future, but as of now, the, you know, the next event, of course, is the second Pro Tour. 
uh, which is, of course, EU. And then the first grand open for season three is run by, what, Core TCG? Or, so, yeah. I mean, that's all the info, you know, we have. So I don't know what their dex mission time is, but, you know, maybe it's it's later. I mean, I, I hope it's the morning huff, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe it's earlier with our luck. We're just going to keep Yeah, yeah maybe it's just like before. noon of Friday. It's like, give <laughs> me your list. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, Ryan Miles actually made an amazing point on that in that, like, so much of probably the best testing and best ideas you're going to get are literally the day before the event because that's when everyone lands. That's when you have a single yeah, bunch of right. I was like, yes, people are doing testing across TTS or whatever Discord. But like you have such a like center focal point of like top players all sitting down to come in there, all bashing heads into the ideas that like it really does lend itself to those like midnight, 1, 2 a.m. pivots that sometimes just kind of make or break a tournament. I mean, I was on green tempo before tulsa and the switch to axe just made the most sense because like i was you know slamming myself against your deck and i was slamming myself against causes deck and i'm like yeah no it's just axe is just the, the solution i need for this tournament right now so it's i'm, I'm yeah. a big proponent of it personally especially come from magic but no i mean that's that's a great point because like the players in this game all of the top players you know it's just kind of funny we usually all find each other like the night before an event whether it's in the lobby somewhere or like the hotel bar or wherever it you know it is it just happens that like there's like 20 players in the same area and you exchange ideas and talk about things so you know it kind of sucks that we miss out on that with an earlier deck submission but you know we'll see how it is you know moving forward I'd, I'd, I'd like for them to consider changing it but i do understand if there's staffing issues sometimes you can't help it so i won't be too hard on them yeah my understanding is they need to do like verify the deck list the day before to make sure they're all legal to like not make it so strenuous during the sure. day of which like i can understand if you can only ever have x amount of staff per event it's just kind of limited on what you can do the day of so i'm not i don't know the logistics of it all that's just kind of like my understanding of it i'm partial to later submissions because i think it just kind of flows better with how the player experience rolls with these kinds of things um but at the end of the day we'll, we'll just kind of yeah, see how yeah, it runs i think out everyone wants the later ones so i don't think you're yeah. alone there Mm-hmm. the last um, part of that too is just with everyone working full time you don't usually have a lot of time right that's the other part to yeah. mention like monday through thursday generally you're working you have other real life obligations that the time that you really get to test right is going to be that friday so we're losing basically an entire week worth of what we could you know bring to the focus point on friday say hey at least we have a few hours and now it's just like nope sorry unless you throw away everything else you're doing earlier in the week, you're not going to get in that valuable testing. And it's just uh, hard, especially for a game that you have to be 18 and older to uh, compete in, right? You know, a lot of people are working <laughs> full time, all things considered. So uh, just being a little bit more mindful of giving players the opportunity to play Friday night, I think is just huge for that reason as well. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Friday is a travel date for a lot of people. Like realistically, here's the thing. This being at 8 p.m. on Friday actually meant that you had to submit your day, your deck the day before, right, Cause Because you actually had to travel over the day of, and by the time you get to the hotel, you weren't actually not making the deck submission time. Yeah, I had to uh, actually one of my meetings got canceled. So I got lucky the day of. And so that's how I swapped to green, funny enough, because I submitted Axe Spider the night before, woke up, had a meeting get canceled, and I'm like, I was just so miserable. I did not want to play Axe I said, screw it. Let's play green. Resubmitted it and then got in the car. And by the time I got to my hotel, it was like nine o'clock or whatever. So I wouldn't have been able to change it again. And I wouldn't have been able to update my deck list unless my meeting got canceled for work. So yeah, it was just uh, not a great experience, but it worked out for me in the end. So uh, small victories. <laughs> mm. 
Um, so with that said, to roll out the red carpet for those who did uh, make out top, uh, top cut, uh, first place was Caleb Albert with his uh, Axe Better deck, uh, second Frisco Foz. So for those of you guys who have been around Bandai games forever, Frisco is a huge name in like Dragon Ball and all that and was a very top performing player there. So uh, has shifted over to playing some Battle Spirits, uh, was at Grand Opens in Season 1 and now finally breaking into Top Cut, finishing in second place. So huge congrats over to him there. Uh, in the uh, top four, you got uh, Blandin and Tata with their Pterosaur decks. And then in top eight, you got Ryan Miles, Kai Kamiya uh, on Axe Spider. Both of them, Ryan Valentino on Pterosaur, and then Ryan Matos on this like cursed tempo mid-range deck. So, uh, which makes the top cut like half the field Axe Spider. Then you got three Pterosaur and then one purple. So, I mean, the meta is the meta at this point. I don't think there's much conversation there. I think there's like a, a back and forth between, you know, the conversation we've had forever. You're either the depth deck or you're the best non, like, you're like red slash whatever deck. And that being Pterosaur now just with like cheaper unblockables. Already, we were seeing Pterosaurs that played like Derm or whatever. And this is just like a, a Derm that makes more sense for the deck that has like not as many cores and access to like... Uh, board presence as any other deck so i think i think in general there's no real surprises there i don't think much of that changes but we'll have to keep an eye because now in the next three weeks there's a grand open every single weekend so like mm -hmm. some of them are getting streamed some aren't i think it'll be interesting to kind of see and keep an eye open to there who knows man maybe the ingenuity of the european or latin american players or the oceanic players um will kind of dawn on us something new for this meta but we'll just have to keep our eyes open for that um really being kind of the last events up until the Netherlands Pro Tour at the end of October. So a huge gap there. Uh, probably something I'm going to try to do is kind of run like some Discord tournaments or whatever um, to kind of get prepped. And if we ever do get like a ban list or something, I think I'm going to fire one off just to get like some people kind of get in the mood of like what it feels like playing in that kind of a world before just jumping right into, um, you know, getting onto flights and going to the Netherlands and stuff like that. Uh, but of course, with the mention of Pro Tours, they also kind of essentially told us what's happening with World. Uh, Bandai Fest is happening at the LA Convention Center in January. Um, so it turns out that we're not only just going to have Worlds, but from the looks of it, we're having Nats for every Bandai game there. Um, so it's supposed to be like this whole big thing. If this were like a Bandai card game conversation, I would probably have some opinions about how I feel getting my invites taken away for two round buys. But like, that's a whole different topic for players who play completely different card games so i'm not going to jump into that but there are two things one we know the world's location we officially know we kind of had like the, the the leaks based on what the la convention center had posted a few weeks earlier but we now know for sure that it's part of the bandai fest and very interestingly enough if you win worlds you actually get an invite to the japanese bandai fest in march for an exhibition event so that could be super cool so you're not only playing for the big bucks and the title worlds but Maybe they're going to have you fight off some Japanese players in some kind of like BSS, BS unified format kind of thing. I don't know. Could be really interesting. Um, but cause I know that you actually kept an eye on what they did with Bandai Fests in Japan because they did do them once there. And for a long time, we were like, hey, we're like, we're just not in a world where we can get all the Bandai IPs in the same room because of like licensing and them not being happy that like One Piece shares a room with Dragon Ball and Digimon and all that. Now it's becoming a thing kind of like what should people be expecting going into a Bandai Fest. Yeah, so this is something that's really exciting to me that dating back to right in August when we first learned about Battle Spirit Saga. Uh, over the winter break is when they had their uh, Bandai Fest in Japan. It is just a grand celebration of all the games coming together. Um, and they usually have, and this is where it'll be interesting to see what they do, a bunch of like 
exclusive swag to the event. So it's not just like, you know, come hang out, have a good time, play in your major tournaments for your respective games. There's also like a reward for going there, right? Like Pokemon does this as well for their worlds or for their special events. You see the deck boxes all the time. You see the the sleeves and all that stuff. So I'm really hoping, you know, again, fingers crossed that for outside of Japan, I'm sure they're still going to have like the biggest celebration of all these be in Japan. And yes, I realize that no Europe, no Latam, right? That's not a proper world tour. It's just Asia plus LA. Yeah, that leaves a little bit to be des- desired, uh, to say the least. But I'm really hoping that we will get to see some of these special announcements, some of the special cards, right? There was these special promos for Union Arena because that just launched for them previously where they had like, oh, show up and you get like these awesome, uh, what are they called? The point cards that you could get that were only available at those events. For Battle Spirits, I know they got special sleeves and they had promo packs you could get that were like special alt art. So there is a opportunity here to be more than just these nationals and world tournaments that we can expect, but really just going to be a grand open area. It could be like the Digimon Fest they had where they had like special artworks displayed. So I know it's asking a lot, but I'm really hoping they do this right outside of Japan where you we do still feel like it is a proper Bondi Fest and not just the tournaments coming together. But either way, it's going to be a great time. I have a bunch of friends that play other Bondi games. I'm sure everyone that's listening or even John and Aspira have other friends who are playing Bondi games. So it's just going to be nice to have this end of year celebration of everybody coming together in one area because so many of our events have been split out between Dragon Ball or One Piece or Digimon or Battle Spirits kind of just all over. So I think above all, I'm just looking forward to exclusive swag and a great time seeing everybody across the games for the Bondi family. Yeah, I'm personally just excited for like the fanfare of it right i hope they do it right i hope like the feature match areas like you know like a mini stage with a table and chairs like other games do and you know it's kind of a really good chance for them to celebrate the players um you know within the event plus of course all the other things you said you know i'm sure that there'll be other things to do and see um so i'm hopeful that it's more than just Hey, show up and play in this tournament, you know, and then kind of, kind of move on. Um, so I, I think with the feedback that we've given them as a community through surveys and through, you know, other means, uh, I, I'm sure that they'll finally take this to heart and, you know, do it right. Yeah, I think uh, one of the conversations we actually had often during the pro tour and post pro tour was that lack of fanfare, right? Like it really felt like you would show up, you're playing the tournament. It almost like a, almost like a job, to be honest. You know, we're here, we know what we got to do, we're just going to do the thing, play the thing. And like, there was a general lack of excitement, I guess, right? So I guess to that yeah. front, it's like, how could Bandai Fest improve on that? I guess it's things like celebrating the players, right? Making something out of the feature match than just like, hey, we're going to shove two guys in a corner and have them play a game while the, yeah, while the like, audience I, on Twitch. I stuff. mean, speaking of fanfare, I, I think that this past Grand Open in Pittsburgh, I think that this was the first event that there was finally a group top eight photo. I don't think mm-hmm. there was one at any other event. And, you know, I know that D kind of took over the social media and, you know, that kind of side of things. Um, you know, I think someone should probably share that to like the battle spirits group as well, just to kind of get it more, you know, more attention. Cause I think she posted everything to the play TCG Facebook page. Um, so, you know, we kind of need to get some cross uh, posts there, but I mean, that, that's a great step in the right direction. Yeah, we also got our first player card as well. You know, huge yeah. shout out to Sierra for putting that together. And, um, you know, we 
passed on that information to Bondi, I guess is the way that I'll frame it. Be like, hey, this is a good idea. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And uh, it looks like we did actually get it on Twitter. Obviously, it was Play TCG and then Battle Spirits Saga, the official Twitter account, retweeted it. But it is out there. We have our first player card with Caleb, which is really great to see. Um, so hopefully more of that in the future than, of course, with like the top eight photo, right? We should also have the top cut photo, and then also the champion, right? Have both of those elements for each one of these events. But the other thing I want to go back to, because I just remembered it was updated, is on the Bondi Card Games Fest 2324, because that's the official name of it, Bondi Fest World Tour, uh, there is also a little section for products that says coming soon. So fingers crossed that does mean exclusive products uh, like they had for Bondi Fest in Japan, but we will have to wait and see to figure out what that actually looks like in terms of is it sleeves? Is it deck boxes? Is it play mats? Right. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but I, I am a big fan of like everyone come together. Let's celebrate all the card games under the family tree for Bondi. I would love to see like a unified mat that represents all the games on it as kind of like their focal point for like the, Hey, everyone who came to worlds, this is the mat. Here's all the card games. We are all one Bondi family on here right i think that'd be super cool that's like my personal wish for like at least one mat design that way then of course have special swag for each game as well but i'm really hoping they do something proper like bandai card games world tour 2023 2024 like right whatever you want to put as for the uh, the date for it so more to come on that hopefully uh soon ish because it's it's kind of right around the corner i guess so <laughs> not too far away yeah, um, just about around the time where you should be getting flights and stuff like that. So hopefully we get... I mean, for us, we're probably going to be going anyways because we're like... We're qualified for Worlds. Cosmic, you're on your way up with Netherlands. So um, I'm sure that's going to happen there. I will say, here's the thing. You know, I'm a player who for like a long time, like, oh, I'm so sick and tired of getting playmats, right? Um, and because just because you, you participate in so many events, they all give you participation mats, and then you're just stuck with like a pile of like 100 mats in your house that you don't know what to do with. Um, but since Bandai kind of got rid of participation mats about a year, year and a half ago, um, it, it, it almost makes me realize like how much I kind of missed getting a mat. Um, like the Digimon, like I loved my Nats Digimon Nat, uh, mat, right? And it's just like, it kind of, uh, John kind of dawned on me, like I'm stunned we never got a Pro Tour mat, um, right? Like just as a participation, like it's, it, it's the kind of thing that you don't realize you kind of miss getting until it's actually like taken away. Um, so I, I am super on board that, like, hopefully we do, at least if not for Bandai Fest as world's attendees or something like that, get a match yeah. that we get to take home. Because, like, there's just something more. And I don't know what it is, if it's just, like, maybe because it's, like, pseudo furniture or it's just it's always on the board when you play with it. So it's more of, like, a part of your identity and stuff. But it's just, like, when you get cards, I love getting cards. I love the prize cards. I love what they're doing with that. But it's just so much easier to just, like, oh, hey, sell this, sell that. When it comes to a mat, it just feels like there's a greater barrier to entry to emotionally detaching yourself from it because it's almost like serves more as a trophy than like say like altar cards do yeah you know my thing with mats is that i i don't like mats just for the sake of getting a mat like i don't mm. want a mat from locals i don't want a participation mat for a grand open like i don't care about those mats those mats aren't worth anything to me because everyone in the room has one so the the mats that i want are like pro tour top 16 or like you know grand open winner you know things like that so to not get a pro tour mat i feel like that was like a pretty big missed opportunity for them yeah so hopefully with worlds there's a shift there i mean like from the from the idea right because it's not just bandai fest is the fact that they've kind of created this whole like bandai card game umbrella they're like finally recognizing that their card game division is big enough to even have like a brand and like they're pushing it and this allows them to do bandai fest across the world and whatever 
Um, so depending on how hard they want to push that, right, it really serves them to double down and really like up the player experience when it comes to playing like anything Bandai related in the card game. So maybe, maybe that uh, that desire to kind of make it like more want you associate Bandai Fest with excitement and stuff like that leads to it. Maybe a more exciting thing. So we'll see, you know, announcements to be coming. Um, Naturally, we'll probably be lining up our booked flights there anyways, but for um, a lot of these games, they now have open nats, open finals for North America, which means uh, a lot of players will have a decision to make on whether they want to go or not, and fanfare, product, all of that are really parts that kind of serve in that front. Um, and then did want to return on the social media front. Again, did love what Play did for this event. Um, I think D did a great job in terms of like sharing like the top eight photos, making the players in the vinyl take a handshake and making that photo, which like up the it. And for those who didn't know, I was working the broadcast actually for uh, the stream, and it actually did bump up viewership. Right, like it turns out, marketing your events actually makes a difference. Um, so the player card is sick, and now it's just about consistency. I think, right? Like, hey, we've got one TO who does this, but naturally, there's a big disparity on like it's always a question on whether a uh, international grand open is going to get streamed right or like we don't even know if the pro tour is going to get streamed right like or who's going to do that or what's that going to look like so i think i think now it's just consistency across the board right you've got like north america is kind of setting the standard and hopefully that standard is respected across all tos and that would be that would be great that would probably be like once we know that like bandai's kind of like tightened its belt is kind of when there's i can go to any event anywhere in the world and it's a Bandai Battle Spirits event, and it's not like, like the the TO kind of makes no relevance in who that is. I think that is kind of like the dream scenario as we slowly start towards uh, kind of like tightening up what we want Battle Spirits to be. All right, well that's the general topics for today. I think a big hot topic in the community right now is naturally the whole depths thing, um, but I think that might be a better conversation for next week. Um, kind of like as we serve into potentially what blue reveals are looking like or probably set two reveals blue will probably be on the later half because they just kind of go by set number unless they're changing up this time around uh, so well, probably the starter deck, right you know we'll get blue cards we'll get first. war gods starter deck which is uh yeah. most likely going to be mill so we'll see but again as we look think back to the green starter deck and some of the other things it'll be like one or two cards that we care about and then that's yeah. probably not going to give us enough information to see how much mill we're going to get because we're going from 40 card decks to up to 60 card decks. So it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, they can't just one to one the effects because that's already nerfing it. Um, and then there's also, of course, the chance that they uh, overtune it and make it too many mil, mil cards because they're accounting for 50 to 60 card decks. So it's going to be interesting to see how the effects shift. Um, and then obviously there's a lot more to blue to look forward to, but those won't come until the end of, you know, or the, the last spirits to be revealed in set three so we're gonna be waiting a while to see blue again after the uh, starter deck yeah you know in theory i know that we said this last week too but in theory next week we'll have you know at least a handful of cards to talk about from set three as well as of course more grand open results i think that the grand open this weekend in glasgow's probably from what i hear from the europeans plus there's a handful of u.s players going over i think it'll be one of the biggest ones of the season so you know, it'll be fun to see what decks come out of there. And, uh, you know, so we can talk about that. And, of course, the blue cards that we should theoretically see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it I, turns I, out when the Pro Tour is in your backyard, you're going to have more people attend your events. But yeah, right. <laughs> another topic for another time. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think with more results, um, I think that leads to a better conversation. Because um, now it's not even just about depths, but it's like, it's the notion of like, hey, if you want to fix the format, you just get rid of depths. And then if it's like, if you want the format to be fresh and new, you like shotgun like five or six cards. 
though. Yeah, I think the, I, you know, the problem now is that so fans <laughs> love Terry's, right? I mean, every event you'll see tons of people play Terry's. So what might happen, you know, with Alex gone as well, I know what he's playing and a handful of other people are probably playing it too. You know, you might get a field where it's like 20% Terry's. So, you know, maybe three or four sneak into the top eight and it's like a repeat of Pittsburgh. And then I don't want that to happen. And then Bandai look at it and be like, Oh, this is pretty diverse. Right. But you know what? I'm sure, I don't know if they understand. I, I know that the average player probably doesn't understand that we have to play cards like Joker because the meta is so oppressive. You know, like we don't want to play Joker and Pterosaurs. Like that card shouldn't be in a Pterosaur deck. And I don't think Bandai intends for it to be in a Pterosaur deck, but it just has to be because how format warping Axe Spider is and depths and so on and so forth. So I I just hope that when they analyze this data, they don't just look at it in a vacuum and be like, okay, well, there was seven pterosaur decks out of the top 16 or whatever so you know we'll see come october what they you know want to really do but i just hope they look at it as a collective rather than just you know in a vacuum yeah this is where the meta has evolved to and this is kind of like how players are answering it, whatever yeah yeah oh yeah, so with that said, we'll wait and see, and that'll probably lead, uh, you know, it'll, it'll create for a more informed discussion, because I think uh, there is naturally the North American bubble, and we aren't the only players, um, so just kind of seeing how the international scene kind of deals with uh, the plate we've presented will be very interesting to see how they kind of move forward from there. With that said, before we jump into kind of like what's upcoming and kind of what our hopes and dreams for Blue is, we do have Guess That Flavor Tech. So once again, a reminder for our viewers, uh, I will present to our apostles uh, a flavor text, uh, and then they will get two hints of which every time they take a hint, it will lower the points they get by one, which means they have a total of three points to have if they don't need the hints and will lose one for every hint of which I give them the total cost of the card. And then it's hyping. Um, and since this is kind of like we had our trial week last week, this is our full week this week. So we will actually start being taking score. Um, so we will see. I did know that uh, John said he's been uh, looking up some flavor text, but I think I think I'm I think I got you guys squat this time. So we'll go ahead and jump right into that. So are you gentlemen ready? Let's do it. Okay. All right. So the flavor text for you here is in an effort to spare the ice princesses. The machine beasts turn themselves into living shields, taking every blow. Mm. So I'll be honest, I didn't know this one until somebody made an oopsies as we were preparing the stream. So I don't know. No! <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was no, so I, hoping I, you weren't paying attention. I myself, but I'll let you uh, try to take this one if you didn't see it. All right, John. Uh, okay, so... I didn't see it. I wasn't paying attention when you were setting up the stream. Um, but I can tell you now that this is definitely a white card. <laughs> um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, let's see. So white machine beast. Uh, so what would be a white machine beast? I would have flavor text. All right. Give me the first hint. What's All the right, cost? Uh... Cosmic, I actually can't, don't have a second monitor. So do you mind actually pulling up the card and telling me what it's Oh, sure, sure, sure. I, I got it. 
Um, but mm. I believe it is a six cost, if I remember correctly. But let me let me give you the exact. Oh, just kidding. It is a four cost. Four cost. Four cost. Uh, four cost. This is has to be set two since that's like more ice princess stuff. Probably a vanilla. What's the four cost white? Four cost white machine beast vanilla and set two. Yeah, you do get the benefit that you don't need to lose a point on your second hint because I think we can oh, <laughs> land on what yeah. type the card is. So the four cost vanilla white card and set two that's a machine beast would be the polar bear. I don't know his name though. Ursa something or other. So is that your final answer? Yes. It has All to right. be that. I don't know what else it could be. <laughs> it's not so, a vanilla. Yeah, it's not. You're you're right. You know what? I'll give it to you. You are just no. right. <laughs> I thought it was a vanilla. I'm no, sitting here thinking to myself. Yes, I'm like, this is a joke. vanilla. God damn! Why'd they make him so bad? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the white cards like this, I just assume are always vanilla. But I guess yeah. he does technically have came text. <laughs> <laughs> so Ursus Polaris is a four cost two white reduction machine beast. And is that a walrus or is that a? No, that's, that's I think it's a bear. It's a bear. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a bear. Yeah, yeah well, it's just uh, a bear, the, right? Yeah, because uh, yeah, okay. so it's a polar bear. Yeah, whatever okay. the, the first part of the name, it means bear. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a 2k level one, 4k level three. Uh, on level two, when the spirit blocks, your spirits with a soul core on them gain 3k BP during this turn. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, a large majority of set two cards are like. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of lends, unfortunately, the set to be a little underwhelming compared to uh, what we were getting from set one. But yeah, that was a, there, there's a lot of fun nuggets in there. And I do think once we get through uh, so many of these, uh, I guess, the flavor texts um, that, uh, that we'll maybe be able to piece together the entire story of uh, what's the, yeah. the land of battle spirits called again? I, I always forget. <laughs> no, I'm going to forget. I should know that. Um, mm -hmm. Look, but you know, you can find out in the lore book dropping at your LGS September 29th, the 39, or yeah. 39, 29 pages uh, mm -hmm. of lore to look forward to. Yeah, I actually think um, I'm semi excited for the lore site because Tokiwa is like nuts. But I've actually been looking at K more often and I'm like, well, if Impaler is good, right, and we're in the late game scenario where I'm able to have Impaler on board and put three cores on him and for some reason not have to use those cores for something defensively, then maybe there's a world in which, like, I can afford seven cores to play a K, maybe, and, like, she draws me two or three cards as opposed to Impaler is just one from my drop, right? Like, instead of just getting a Derm Dino, I can get, like, a Derm um, and, a, I don't know, like, an Aglavale or whatever, like, an Elemental or something. So I think there's, a, there's some interesting worlds where, as dismissive as I am of the general archetype in general, um, I think there's probably still some value. I, th I, I still stand that like the cards, like the the white guy that gives like all your generals armor, like that's obviously washed because he's only playable if the archetype is playable, and I don't think that really is. But I, I, th I think there's a world in which you can kind of hey, so, that card and it does. So something. can we go back for a second? I I feel like I didn't get the props that I deserve for getting this uh, guess the flavor text with one hint. <laughs> No, that was a bit, uh, well, one hint. <laughs> you got well, one hint plus the flavor text, but yeah. yeah. Well, no, that's amazing. I, I, I'll tell you right now, I did not even know the card existed. So, so I think that is that Here on amazing. my whiteboard next week, I'm just going to tally up the scoreboard. and. Uh... <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm going to freshen up next week. Yeah, yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's valid to give Cause a point because he did, didn't even get to be able to say it at all. But your two points were uh, very much warranted. So I think you are definitely ahead on that race. Right. Uh, yeah. Carry on with your lore set. <laughs> uh, I just think it's well, gonna we, have. A, I just think it'll be interesting. That's that's the biggest thing. Yeah. So um, speaking of the lore set, uh, so the decks that I have built for testing, uh, basically the the two main ones anyway, are focused around the red card you were just talking about, Key or K or you know whatever her name is, and Tokiwa. So I think those are the two cards that are the most obvious. Like, hey, I should build around this. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if like the purple guy sees some play somewhere or uh, like the yellow fabled beast might see some play not for its effect per se but just because it's a two cost fabled beast um you know so we'll see where it goes but i would be shocked and i know that the you know discord is kind of already on this but you know volcanic canyon with tokiwa is going to be a a menace to deal with and if if depths goes I think a lot of those type decks can just slot in four canyons, one Tokiwa in place of the four depths. So, you know, we'll kind of see where that goes. I'm just going to be over here living my green dream still. Apparently I've, I've gone from yellow stand and now green stand. So um, I'm going to keep saying I'm probably playing some Tokiwa green deck for the, uh, yeah. the pro tour, but obviously we got to wait till we get uh, product in hand, or I guess now that we can kind of, not worry about the current meta and kind of take some uh, respectful speculation on what the ban list will look like and just say no depths and who knows what else. But um, I'm just going to start jamming some green deck in uh, various decks and see where it lands. But I, I'm so confident that Tokiwa is just absolutely cracked that uh, that's where I want to be. But we'll see how the, yeah. see how the format shakes up. Yeah, I think most of the players that I've talked to are pretty much already on that. We're already testing with no depths. Like we just, you know, already assume it's not going to be there. So Anything else they do, we'll kind of adapt to, but you can pretty safely, I think, start testing now with no depths. Yeah, and um, I think it's just the fact that, like, between Tokiwa being a five drop, so it works with Beldegore, so you can play Beldegore in your deck if you really want to. Like, there's, there's enough. It, it feels like we're almost at a point where there's enough pitches that aren't real pitches, right? Like, you pitch a Beldegore, you're going to get that card back, right? You pitch Tokiwa, you're going to get that card back. So it feels like Canyon yeah. is, like, more and more shaping up to be a plus card, not just, like, a card yeah. quality card, which just definitely ups the stonks. Yeah, yeah, which definitely ups its stonks on, like, how good it is. So, yeah. Um, with that said, upcoming, reveals for set three at some point, right? So uh, for those who don't know, set uh, blue has kind of, like, two things. Better go for it. It's a mill. It's a it's a mill archetype, um, and it's also like a, a tax archetype, right? Like tax, multi attackers apparently are like a thing. Oh, nexus, of course. So like the big yep. thing is mill nexus, and then in between that you have like taxes stuff like that. So um, I guess starting off with cosmic, since he's kind of more like oriented towards what JPBS is, and then we'll shift over to John. There, I'm kind of like, what are are your hopes and dreams for like blue coming into the three? Yeah, so I know Mill is going to be the one that people either love it or hate it. So I'm just kind of like, look, they have to rebalance it for a saga. I'm not even considering that, really. Um, for me, the biggest one is going to be Assault. Because what Blue does with their Nexus and with their various cards is that they'll also have cost-based destruction. So it'll be something like, when this spirit attacks, destroy a 3-cost. 
And then you combine that with things like assault. And now suddenly, and for those for a refresher, for those at home, uh, something that says assault one would basically mean when that spear attacks, you can exhaust a nexus, restand it, and it can attack again. We will see the Hydras or whatever they get, re- Fusion Beasts, they'll be renamed maybe um, in our set. They'll be like, assault six right just to give you an idea where then it's like oh they're attacking six times in a turn and like that's your key spirit your new game ender so for me i'm really curious to see what type of cost based removal that we end up getting and honestly where the nexus land i mean there are some effects that are basically like your opponent cannot play spells i'm paraphrasing obviously because there's other conditions on that but just more ways to interact with the game to force your opponent to play differently or have to pay extra cores for stuff so for me it's really the combination of where assault ends up and the cost based removal and then also the death and taxes style of gameplay for anyone that plays magic um and seeing what bondi does with it for saga yeah i agree i think it's it'll be notable kind of seeing what changes they make because mill is one of those things where it's like it's broken or it sucks right like it's literally kind of not in between i was gonna say that like there's I I don't think I've ever played a game in my entire life where there was a mill strategy and it wasn't either complete dog water or broken to the point where you had to ban cards. Like it just doesn't exist. And so I'm really curious how Battle Spirit Saga will end up doing it. Um, I don't personally know anything about blue and battle spirits i don't know what it does i don't know what the cards do every time someone shares a card in discord it's japanese and no one talks about it so i have no idea what any of these cards are Guilty. Uh, yeah but uh <laughs> so the the art's cool i don't know if we'll get any of that art but it's definitely like a step up from you know what we have now um but like the the taxation style of play i'm a huge fan of i would like to see effects that tax burst cards i don't know if we'll get that from blue um but that's something that i'd like to see um i i think one of the main things the game's missing right now is ways to punish burst cards so you know maybe is that something blue does because that's that yeah, there'll be, be nice. ways to uh, tax it. Uh, white will eventually get ways to like bounce the burst to the bottom of the deck. Like mm-hmm. other colors, generally do get a way to interact with them on some level. Um, and then, of course, there's all the way going to current Japanese battle spirits. Will like where burst spirits counter other burst spirits, but they're super narrow in their specific activation windows. So um, yeah. that is just a key part we're missing in general. And it, it's going to be interesting to see when we get it. Maybe they're waiting for all the colors and then like set four would be the first time where we see kind of that next level of interaction happen but yeah i don't know if i'm ready for burst spirits yet but i'm well, definitely not that part, but like yeah. yeah let's interact with the burst zone in some way right so you know I, once we see the starter deck i think we might get a better picture of uh you know what blue wants to do in battle spirit saga you know for green while the starter deck wasn't very good as a whole we at least saw all the different, you know, mechanics for green. You know, we saw Swift, we saw uh, all the uh, like exhaust stuff. So with like needle shot. So you know, hopefully blue's kind of the same way. We'll see what their overall focus is and have have a better idea of what to expect. Um, I'm also a big fan of death and taxes. I love mill. I'm gonna just say it outright. Mills might be bad. I'm playing it. I guarantee you, I'm playing it, and we'll see how it goes from there. Um, but I I love my uninteractive unfair strategies and uh it really feels like blue is kind of like one of those colors yeah Um, you know i'm i'm a fan of those strategies too like i don't mind playing mill like when dragon ball i played a few tournaments with janemba and like it you know it was cool it was fine 
but I mean, I felt like it was overtuned. Um, but anyway, it's, I don't mind those strategies. Like, you know, I don't mind losing to them. I don't mind playing them. Like it's fine. I, I just want to play the game, you know, like I don't yeah. want it to be so broken that it's like, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm getting milled out turn three. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird balance. I think that's an important caveat to add where Battle Spirits does it a little bit differently is your spirits have to attack and have to survive combat most of the time to get their effects. So like there's always going to be that focus where, yes, you know, a big scary mill guy is coming at you. But if you have a battle trick, you're probably going to get rid of them. And then your opponent's going to have to spend another turn trying to set up a combo or try to set up an enabler so that they can mill again. So there's a lot more forced interaction that happens out of blue mill which is why it's my favorite coming from magic coming from other games that i've done mill where it's usually just like sit behind something stupid and use your life for you know that resource style but where in battle spirits you do have to be actively aggressive with it um so of course there's always a side of like you know giving your opponent cores opening yourself up to dream bombs or various removal it's not like there's just a spell there's no glimpse the unthinkable uh to, to make the magic equivalent where it's just like oh sorry opponent mill 10 because this magic card it's always going to be with spirit effects and attacking, or at least what we can expect to see uh, in set three. I think um, the person I can draw, um, at one point there was this cell deck in DB that was like cell hand destruction. Um, and it was like extremely was toxic. Deck, yeah. yeah. Um, so it actually evolved to be a surge deck at that, uh, later in the game with like a like yellow green. Um, and the problem with that deck was the fact that it could rip your entire hand over the course of like three or four turns without having to interact with you. Um, and um, eventually got eroded and basically just, uh, Oreos just straight up banned, I can't remember. But it it's, yeah, it, it yeah. but it's the notion of not having to interact with your opponent to be able to do the unfair thing. I love unfair archetypes, because like, I'm, just, I'm just a stupid, I don't like my, player, my opponents to have fun type of player. Um, but I do, <laughs> hello kitty. <laughs> Um, but I do have uh, an appreciation for interaction, right? And I think the fact that you have some strategies that are unfair and uninteractive, tough. So if it's like really the world where blue has to force your opponent into certain things to then be able to do the mill thing, I think at that point you kind of find a balance. Does that mean it sucks? Maybe that usually tends to be the thing with mill where again, if it's not broken, it's, it's, it's not really playable. But we'll, we'll have to see where it lands, especially since we have more, a bigger deck size like you. But then, of course, blue's not actually the only thing. Um, there are five other colors in the game now. We'll have the full color pie. And I think one of the things that we saw in set two was how lackluster every main color got, right? Like, what do we see play from set two? The worker ant, thorn prison, Aegis, and like some number of infinity shield, right? Um, so yeah. I think. Do you guys have any like hopes and dreams in regards to what other colors that are currently in the game will get with set three? I don't know. I mean, it's I I just want a set that has slightly higher power level. I guess like I I don't want twenty vanillas. So just just give me a set without twenty vanillas. That's all I care about. So you know, I think that will just by itself just inherently be better. You know, like. When when you have a set with that many vanillas, I feel like you're not gonna see. You know, the set's about 128 cards, and 20 plus of them are are vanillas. So, you know, the the X rares this set were like a little lacking. Um, you know, compared to set one. Uh, so, you know, I think if we just get like a slight step up there, 
you know, I'm not asking for a giant power creep. I just want like slightly more playable X rares, for example. I'm gonna ask for power creep, but only for blue because I'm horribly, horribly biased. Well, blue has <laughs> to be crazy, right? I mean, yeah. so so we have, if I recall from the product sheet, we have like twice as many blue X rares than every other color. We we have, you know, they they have to just introduce more blue cards in general, right? So, yep. Um, we'll get four know. blue X rares in the set plus the starter deck bringing a grand total of five X rares yeah. for set three. Yeah. So, you know, I my hope is that most of them are playable. I mean, they kind of have to be. Um, you know, I, I just want every color to have like a new archetype, basically. I don't think set two really introduced new archetypes. I think it just kind of maybe enhanced other archetypes, you know, if, if that makes sense. I want set three to, you know, like for red, right? There's no new decks for red in set two. Like literal zero. Like Dragon King is cool. Like all the Dragonoid stuff is cool, but there's no coherent deck there. You know, even if all those cards were, were broken, there's no coherent deck there. So, you know, I just want the option to be like, okay, I'm playing red. I I don't want to be limited to Nova or Terry's. So I don't want to show my bias here again, but you know, we there's a comment to be made about dragonoids where like there is a archetype there and it just sucks, unfortunately, where like bird folk has three cards, or I guess four, right? And like that is clearly meant to be an archetype and just isn't in the set for whatever yeah, they reason. They even have their own nexus. Like, yeah, dragonoids got a spell, it. dragonoids got an aura, dragonoids got an X-rare, and like they they got it all, man, by comparison. But <laughs> I think that also goes back to like that's what we want to see, right? We want to see the dragonoid level of archetypes being built into the set but then also not suck so like one of the things that i want to see is like don't introduce another family into the game that has you know one and a half playable cards with bird folk because the bird folk with raphael's you know make stuff level one effect and a harpy nest to make stuff level one effect and save against purple which is a you know tough matchup for us those are really insane so like if we get reasonable bird folk support in set three that should be a good deck and then hopefully yellow can then have here's your fable beast here's your bird folk right and expand more on that so the one thing i will say too with green it really is a support set like even with my deck that i made top 16 with right if you look at my top end the green x-rares suck but that's because green just is allows you to ramp allows you to get all these extra cores and then you just say what is the best payoff in respects to the metaphor that's spoiler it's going to be elephant because it's going to ramp you more and draw more cards and then it's going to be germ dina the benefit or the hope that I have for blue is they are far more greedy. They care about their blue nexus. They care so much about blue symbols that they are going to be very, very like 90% of the deck has to be blue by nature. So I think just by that compared to where green landed in set two, that should land us to see a little bit more exploration in the blue decks. But again, if the x rays just kind of suck like they did in, in set two for green, then we're kind of unfortunately in the same spot, but I have at least a little bit more faith and hope that blue lands in a better spot overall. Yeah, I think the seven drop Toki was pretty slept on as far as green X-rays go, but overall, I I do agree. The green X-rays are definitely lacking. Yeah, it, um, it almost feels like they're not tied really tightly to like what their archetypes are meant to do. Right, like you have Blade Beast, which is kind of like doing this, like, hey, if I'm a bigger dude, I get more cores, which kind of sets me up to do the really big thing. But we don't have the really big thing. That's Anne Queen, which like does its own thing and wants to do its own thing. So it's it's a little lack of coherence. And like even 
And my problem is that definitely the archetype support, so like you said, set two supported older archetypes. So like red is the confront stuff and the star dragon stuff. But for some reason, it's more tuned, like it's over fixed versus what we got in set one. So the vanillas aren't as good and we got a bunch of vanilla. The, um, all the uh, dino stuff that wants you to play like that confront deck ha- are all conditional now as opposed to the ones that weren't conditional in set one. So like, if you want to build a confront deck, you're still just using the set one ones. So there's this like world where it just doesn't match up. And then it, it's like a, it's a tough balance because you don't want to make those other colors so good that like the new color you're introducing can't keep up, right? But unfortunately you just kind of created this world where you didn't make the new color strong enough and the old stuff you purposely didn't make strong so that it doesn't overcompete with the fact that the new card, the new card pool needs to compete with like the other colors having double, triple the card pool, right? Double with green, and then it'll be triple with blue. So it's it's a yeah. tough balance. I, I just I just want it to feel different. And right now the game has definitely felt that for eight months it's still basically like S one like C like BSS one meta plus if you consider yeah, like same TP but plus in February basically the only addition is like X Spider. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. That's the biggest thing. Um, I'm hoping for those changes. Um, but naturally, Prey Penta, and that's going to be next week where we can finally start talking about some new cards and getting our minds off of the same, uh, you know, depths, ban this, ban that, Pro Tour discussions that we've been having. At least to, to add a little salt and, you know, spices to our conversations that don't just kind of involve the same things over and over. Yeah. Well, plus, like, you know, in, in closing, what I wanted to say is that... Uh, we know already that the world's format is set three. So this set has to be good or else pro tour three and worlds are going to be like a snooze fest. And like they, they can't afford that. So, you know, I hope that they considered that in, in their, you know, uh, design, but we'll see. Or hear me out. Bondi, if you're watching this, make worlds, Set for legal and just give everyone a master set who's qualified for worlds. That would That's be all. hot. That all would I'm be asking. hot, dude. All I'm asking. That would be fun. I'm I'm all about that for sure. I would like that for Pro Tour Two, even. I mean, I know it's kind of late for that now, but <laughs> I would love to be like, all right, guys, the format kind of sucks. We know it. Here's a master set of set three. Go nuts. But whatever. Yeah, yeah that would be sick. Um, but we'll just have to remain and see. Um, hopefully, big news week, end of week, maybe early next week, and the next time uh, we join uh, for a session, have a little talk about. And actually, on that, uh, I would like to say uh, we will now be taking both confessionals and questions. So, if you have any confessional, something of the sort of like, uh, dear Penten, I played white aggro at locals today. You know, like, just if you just need to get it off your chest that you did something so egregious that you would like uh, us to bless you and, uh, you know, say that with X amount of hail pentans, you can be uh, blessed and, you know, uh, cure to your sins. Um, naturally, also questions will be taking a mailbag. So if you guys have any questions that you would like myself, myself John, or Cosmic to answer, um, if you are not part of the uh, Battle Spirit Saga unofficial Discord community, jump on in there. Um, I will set up a, some kind of section that allows us to take questions, and eventually I think I'll set up the Twitter and social media as well so that you can ask questions over on Twitter. That. Um, so with that said, uh, join up the Discord, join up the community, and other channels will soon also join in in regards to being able to ask your questions or have us talk about your confessionals. Um, additionally, 
We are on all audio platforms now. I think it's officially been done. So I think if you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all that kind of jazz, uh, you guys can actually pick up the podcast and it goes live a little bit earlier than the video portion. I do aim to have these out on the Wednesday morning, um, but because of the way that uploads work, they actually end up at like midnight, 1 a.m. ish on the Wednesday if you guys are night owls or happen to be internationals that are trying to dead. But that said, I'm Espira, joined by my apostles, Cosmic and John. This has been the Church of Pantan podcast. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And we'll catch you again next week. May the cores are safe. Thank you.